Good morning. Today is Thursday, October fifth, twenty twenty-three. We will be hearing from the USCCB. dot org, United States Conference of Catholic Bishops. On the topic of the real presence of Jesus Christ in the sacrament of the Eucharist. Basic questions and answers. Introduction. The Lord Jesus, on the night before He suffered on the cross, shared one last meal with His disciples. During this meal, our Savior instituted the sacrament of His body and blood. He did this in order to perpetuate the sacrifice of the cross throughout the ages, and to entrust to the Church His spouse a memorial of His death and. Resurrection, as the Gospel of Matthew tells us, while they were eating, Jesus took bread, said the blessing, broke it, and gave it to his disciples. Said, "Take and eat. This is my body." Then he took the cup, gave thanks, and gave it to them, saying, "Drink from it, all of you." For this is my blood of the covenant, which will be shed on behalf of many for the forgiveness of sins. Recalling these words of Jesus, the Catholic Church professes that in the celebration of the Eucharist, bread and wine become. The body and blood of Christ, of Jesus Christ, through the power of the Holy Spirit, and the instrumentally instrumentality of the priest. Jesus said, "I am the living bread that came down from heaven. Whoever eats this bread will live forever." And the bread that I will give is my flesh for the life of the world. For my flesh is true food, and my blood is true drink. John six, verse fifty one to fifty five. The whole Christ. Is truly present, body, blood, soul, and divinity, under the appearances of bread and wine, the glorified Christ, glorified Christ, who rose from the dead after dying for our sins. This is what the Church means when she speaks. Of the quote, real presence unquote of Christ 
in the Eucharist. This presence of Christ in the Eucharist is called, quote, real, unquote, not to exclude other types. exclude other types of his presence as if they could not be understood as real, please refer to Catechism number 1374. The risen Christ is present to his church in many ways, but most especially through the sacrament of his body and blood. What does it mean that Jesus Christ is present in the Eucharist under the appearances of bread and wine? How does this happen? The presence of the risen Christ in the Eucharist is an inexhaustible mystery of the church that the church can never fully explain in words. We must remember that the triune God is the creator of all that exists and has the power to do more than we can possibly imagine. Want to hear from St. Ambrose? If the word of the Lord Jesus is so powerful as to bring into existence, which were not, then a fortiori Those things which already exist can be changed into something else. Please read De Sacramentis, chapter 4, verse 5 through 16. Bookmark. God created the world in order to share his life with persons who are not God. This great plan of salvation reveals a wisdom that surpasses our understanding. But we are not left in ignorance, for out of his love for us, God reveals his truth to us in ways that we can understand through the gift of faith and the grace of the Holy Spirit dwelling in us. We are thus enabled to understand, at least in some measure, what would otherwise remain unknown to us, though we can never completely comprehend the mystery of God. As successors of the apostles and teachers of the church, the bishops have the duty to hand on what God has revealed to us and to encourage all members of the church to deepen their understanding of the mystery and the gift of the Eucharist. 
in order to foster such a deepening of faith. We have prepared this text to respond to 15 questions that commonly arise with regard to the real presence of Christ in the Eucharist. We offer this text to pastors and religious educators to assist them in their teaching responsibilities. We recognize that some of these questions involve rather complex theological ideas. It is our hope, however, that study and discussion of the text will aid many of the Catholic faithful in our country to enrich their understanding of this mystery of the faith. Number one, then, why does Jesus give himself to us as food and drink? Jesus gives himself to us in the Eucharist as spiritual nourishment because he loves us. God's whole plan for our salvation is directed to our participation in the life of the Trinity. The communion of Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Our sharing in this life begins with our baptism. When, by the power of the Holy Spirit, we are joined to Christ, thus becoming adopted sons and daughters of the Father, it is strengthened and increased in confirmation. It is nourished and deepened through our participation in the Eucharist by eating the body and drinking the blood of Christ in the Eucharist, we become united to the person of Christ through his humanity. His humanity. When he said, quote, Whoever drinks Whoever eats my flesh and drinks my blood remains in me, and I in him. Isn't that consuming something? You put it inside yourself, and then it's in you, and it becomes your new cell, so you are now in it. It becomes a new body. Give it a couple of days, yeah. John 6, 56. In being united to the humanity of Christ, we are at the same time united to his divinity. Our mortal and corruptible natures are transformed by being joined to the source of life. Unquote John 6 verse 57. By being united to Christ through the power of the Holy Spirit dwelling in us, we are drawn up into the eternal relationship of love among the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. As Jesus is the eternal Son of God by nature, so we become sons and daughters of God by adoption through the sacrament of baptism. Through the sacraments of baptism and 
confirmation, or AKA chrismation. Chrismation. Oh, that's a new word. Bookmark C R I S M A T I O N. We are temples of the Holy Spirit. He dwells in us, and by His indwelling, we are made holy by the gift. Of sanctifying grace, sanctifying grace, sanctificator, sanctifying grace. The ultimate promise of the gospel is that we will share in the life of the Holy Trinity. The fathers of the church call this participation in the divine life. Quote, divinization. Unquote. Theosis. T H E. How do you spell the T H E O S I S? In this case, we see that God does not merely send us good things from on high. Instead, we are brought up into the inner life of God. The communion among the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, and the celebration of the Eucharist, which means Eucharist means Thanksgiving. We give praise and glory to God for this sublime gift. Number two, and then I'm dead battery. It's long though. Let's see if we can get through it. Number two. Why is the Eucharist not only a meal, but also a sacrifice? While our sins would have made it impossible for us to share in the life of God, Jesus Christ. Was sent to remove this obstacle. His death was a sacrifice for our sins. Christ is, quote, the Lamb of God who taketh away the sins of the world. Unquote. John, one verse twenty Through his death and resurrection, he conquered sin and death, and reconciled us to God. The Eucharist is the memorial of the sacrifice. The Church gathers to remember and to represent the sacrifice of Christ, in which we share. Through the action of the priest and the power of the Holy Spirit, through the celebration of the Eucharist, we are joined to Christ's sacrifice and receive its inexhaustible benefits. As the letter to the Hebrew explains, Jesus is the one eternal High Priest who always lives. 
to make intercession for the people before the Father. In this way, he surpasses the many high priests who over centuries used to offer sacrifices for sin in the Jerusalem temple. The eternal High priest Jesus offers the perfect, perfect sacrifice, which is his very self, not something else. Hebrews 9, verse 12, he entered once for all into the sanctuary, not with the blood of goats and calves, but with his own blood. Thus, obtaining eternal redemption. You see, Christ's act belongs to human history, for he is truly human and has entered into history. At the same time, however, Jesus Christ is the second person of the Holy Trinity. He is the eternal Son, who is not confined within time or history. His actions transcend time, which is part of creation. Time is part of creation. So, quote, passing through the greater and more perfect tabernacle made not by, not made by hands, that is, passing through the greater and more perfect tabernacle, not made by hands, that is, not belonging to his, not belonging to this creation. Okay, you messed that all up. Go back. Passing through the greater and more perfect tabernacle, not made by hands, that is, not belonging to this creation. Hebrews chapter 9, verse 11. Jesus, the eternal Son of God, made his act of sacrifice in the presence of his Father, who lives in eternity. Jesus' one perfect sacrifice is thus eternally present before the Father, who eternally accepts it. This means that in the Eucharist, Jesus does not sacrifice himself again and again. Rather, by the power of the Holy Spirit, his one eternal sacrifice is made present once again. Re-presented, what we call re-presented, not represented, re-presented, dash with the meter, so that we may share in it. Eh? Christ does not have to leave where he is in heaven to be with us. Rather, we partake of the heavenly liturgy where Christ eternally intercedes for us and presents his sacrifice to the Father, and where the angels and saints constantly glorify God and give thanks for all his gifts. 
Let's look at Revelations chapter 5, verse 13. To the one who sits on the throne and to the Lamb be blessing and honor, glory and might forever and ever. Revelation 5.13 As the Catechism of the Catholic Church states, number 1326, quote, By the Eucharistic celebration, we already unite ourselves with the heavenly liturgy and anticipate eternal life when God will be all in all. The Sanctus Proclamation. It's a title called Sanctus. Look it up later. Holy, 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 Lord God of hosts, heaven and earth are full of your glory. Trying to look for better music. Mm-hmm. Okay, it's copyright music. It's just too slow for me to read by myself. I need some background music. Can I get some backup? Anybody? Anybody? DJ, are you um where love is? Okay, let's try that one. Oh, it's seven o'clock. is the song of the angels who are in the presence of God, says Isaiah 6, verse 3. When the Eucharist, we, when in the Eucharist, we proclaim the Sanctus, we echo in, we echo on earth the songs of the angels as they worship God in heaven. In the Eucharistic celebration, we do not simply remember an event in history, no, no. Rather, through the mysterious action of the Holy Spirit in the Eucharistic celebration called the Lord's Paschal Mystery is made present. And the contemporaneous to his spouse the church. Contemporaneous to his spouse, the church. Furthermore, furthermore, uh uh-huh. In the Eucharistic representation of Christ's eternal sacrifice before the Father, we are not only simply spectators, the priests and the worshiping community are in different ways active in the Eucharistic sacrifice. The ordained priest standing at the altar represents Christ as the head of the church. All the baptized as members of Christ's body share in his priesthood as both priest and victim. 
The Eucharist is also the sacrifice of the church. The church, which is the body and bride of Christ, participates in the sacrificial offering of her head and spouse. In the Eucharist, the sacrifice of Christ becomes the sacrifice of the members of his body who united to Christ, united to Christ, form one sacrificial offering. Refer to Catechism number 1368. So, as Christ's sacrifice is made sacramentally present, united with Christ, we offer ourselves as a sacrifice to the Father. Quote, the whole church exercises the role of priest and victim along with Christ, offering the sacrifice of the Mass and itself completely offered in it. Bookmark Mysterium Fidei number 31 Lumen Gentium number 11 Number three, when the bread and wine become the body and blood of Christ, why do we still look at, why do they still look and taste like bread and wine? Well, in the celebration of the Eucharist, the glorified Christ becomes present under the appearances of bread and wine in a way that is unique, a way that is uniquely suited to the Eucharist. In the church, church's tradition, theological language, in the church's traditional theological language, in the act of consecration during the Eucharist, the, quote, substance of the bread, the, quote, substance, unquote, of the bread and wine, the substance is changed by the power of the Holy Spirit into the substance of the body and blood of Jesus Christ. Substance. At the same time, the, quote, incidents, unquote, or appearances of bread and wine remain. Substance and, oh, at the same time, the accidents or appearances of bread and wine remain. What is this? We'll be right back. This is number three. Bye-bye. Baby's crying. Good morning. Today is October 12th. I love the 12th of 2023. And finally, I have reception to download the book I've been trying to read that we saved 
or reserve this room for. I present to you devotion to the Holy Eucharist. Oh, come on, load. Sorry, it's reloading. So I'm so excited to bring this to you. Okay, it won't let me. Oh, it won't let me. I'll be back. Okay, okay, try again. Hold on, hold on, hold on. Patience, patience. Okay, great. I'm gonna read it from the top. Title page. The Centenary Edition. The Complete Works of Saint Alphonsus de Liguari, Doctor of the Church, Bishop of Saint Agatha, and Founder of the Congregation of the Most Holy Redeemer. Translated from the Italian, edited by Reverend Eugene Grimm, with two M's, Priest of the Congregation of the Most Holy Redeemer. The Aesthetical Works, Volume 6. Oh my. The Holy Eucharist, period. The Sacrifice the sacrament and the sacred heart of Jesus Christ. Practice of love of Jesus Christ. Novena to the Holy Ghost. There's a stamp on it. University of St. Michael's College Library. What? <gasps> okay. The table of contents is very long. I'm not going to read it. I'll just put it on thread somewhere when I can post again. No worries. Or Instagram, whatever. The Centenary Edition. The Holy Eucharist. Period. The sacrifice, the sacrament, the sacred heart of Jesus Christ. Practice of love of Jesus Christ. Novena to the Holy Ghost. By St. Alphonsus de Liguari, Doctor of the Church. Edited by Reverend Eugene Grimm, Priest of the Congregation of the Most Holy Redeemer. There's a seal, people. New York, Cincinnati, and St. Louis. Benziger Brothers, Printers to the Holy Apostolic Sea. R. Washburn, 18, Paternoster Row, London. M. H. Gill and Son, 50 Upper O'Connell Street, Dublin, 1887. Approbation. There's a library stamp in the library, you know, stamping ink. January 23rd, 23rd, 1953. Ooh, that was the last time I got touched by human hands. By virtue of the authority granted me by the most reverend Nicholas Moron, Mieron, Superior General of the Congregation of the Most Holy Redeemer, I hereby sanction the publication of the work entitled, quote, The Holy Eucharist, unquote, etc., 
which is volume six of the new and complete edition in English of the works of Saint Alphonsus de Liguori, called quote, "the centenary edition." Unquote. Signed, Elias Fred Schur. Supreme Provincial Baltimoreensis. Baltimore, Maryland, January 16, 1887. Copyright 1887 by Elias Frederick Schauer. The Sacrifice of Jesus Christ. In a short explanation of the prayers of the Mass will be included. Let's begin with a short letter, one pager, by E.D. In the two preceding volumes, we have been considering that the Son of God, not content with becoming man and immolating himself for our salvation, in order to satisfy the love which he bore us, also wished to create for himself an entirely new life of love by instituting the Holy Eucharist expressly for the purpose of giving himself to us in three different ways. Namely, as a victim of an infinite price in the Holy Sacrifice. Secondly, as the food of our souls in the Holy Communion. And thirdly, in the Holy Tabernacle, as a perpetual companion of our exile here upon earth. After having paid our homage to our Savior in his sacrament of love, we honor with a special worship his divine heart, which is regarded as the seat of his immense love for us. Now, as God loves only in order to be loved, we are led by the foregoing considerations to the practice of the love of Jesus Christ. We conclude by speaking of the devotion that is due to the Holy Spirit, who is the love that is consubstantial with the Father and the Son, through whom God loves us and through whom we love God. Such are the contents of this volume, which is volume six of the Aesthetical Works.
We place at the beginning of this volume a short treatise entitled, quote, The Sacrifice of Jesus Christ, unquote, because the sacrifice of the altar is intimately connected with the sacrifice of the cross. The latter being the subject considered in the last volume. And because the sacrifice of the altar completes the sacrifice of the cross by Holy Communion. Find great stays across the USA. Vacation ideas? St. Alphonsus wrote this little work in his treatise in his retreat in the year 1776 when he was 80 years of age and published it with his work called the Victories of the Martyrs signed E.D. The following is a notice. I acknowledge to have drawn this little treatise on the sacrifice of Jesus Christ from a work composed by a learned French author. His work is complete and somewhat diffuse. I have composed and have published this abridgment because of the profit that may be derived from it, not only by the priests who say mass, but by the faithful who are present at it. My little work bears the title, quote, the sacrifice of Jesus Christ, end quote. For although we distinguish by different names the sacrifice of the cross from the sacrifice of the altar, yet it is substantially the same sacrifice. In fact, we find at the altar the same victim and the same priest, the one day offered himself on the cross. The sacrifice of the altar is a continuation or a renewal of the sacrifice of the cross and differs from it only in the manner in which it is offered. Thank you for hanging on to all the introductions. We are now past all the introductions and we will be right back with the beginning. Chapter one, Roman number one, the sacrifice of Jesus Christ. Thank you for listening. Celeste, we'll be right back. The sacrifices of the old law were figures of the sacrifice of Jesus Christ. All the sacrifices of the old law were figures of the sacrifices of our divine Redeemer. And there were four kinds of these sacrifices, namely the sacrifice of peace, of thanksgiving, of expiation and of impetration. Number one, the sacrifices of peace were instituted to render to God the worship of adoration, which is due to Him 
as the sovereign master of all things and of this kind were the holocausts. Number two, the sacrifices of thanksgiving were destined to give thanks to the Lord for all his benefits. Hi, baby. Hey, mama. Number three, the sacrifices of expiation were established to obtain the pardon of sin. This kind of sacrifice was specially presented, represented in the Feast of the Expiation by the emissary goat, which having been laden with all the sins of the people, were led forth out of the camp of the Hebrews and afterwards abandoned in the desert to be there devoured by ferocious beasts. This sacrifice was the most expressive. We'll be right back. This sacrifice was the most expressive figure of the sacrifice of the cross. Jesus Christ was laden with all the sins of men. As Isaiah had foretold, quote, The Lord had laid on him the iniquity of us all. Unquote. He was afterwards ignominiously led forth from Jerusalem, whither the apostles invites us to follow him by sharing in his opprobrium. Quote, let us go forth, therefore, to him without the camp, bearing his reproach, unquote. He was abandoned to ferocious beasts that is to say, to the Gentiles who crucified him. Page 18. Number four. Finally, the sacrifices of impetration, impetration, which for their object to obtain from God his aid and his grace. The sacrifices of impratration had for their object to obtain from God his grace and his aid. Now, all these sacrifices are abolished by the coming of the capital R Redeemer, because only the sacrifice of Jesus Christ, which was 
a perfect sacrifice, while all the ancient sacrifices were imperfect, was sufficient to expiate all the sins and merit for man every grace. This is the reason why the Son of God, on entering the world, said to his father, quote, Sacrifice and oblation thou wouldest not, but a body thou hast fitted to me. Holocaust for sin did not please thee. Then I said, Behold, I come. In the head of the book it is written of me that I should do thy will. Oh God. Hebrews ten five. Hostiam et oblationem noluisti corpus autem epasti mihi. Halocautomata pro peccato non tibi placuarant. Tunc dici, ecce venio. Incapite libri scriptum est de me, ut faciam Deus voluntatem tuam. Hence, by offering to God the sacrifice of Jesus Christ, we can fulfill all our duties towards His Supreme Majesty and provide for all our wants. And by this means, we succeed in maintaining a holy intercourse between God and ourselves. We must also know that the old law exacted five conditions in regard to the victims which were to be offered to God so as to be agreeable to him, namely, let's count, sanctification, oblation, immolation, consumption, and participation. We'll be right back. to go over these five points in the second half of chapter one. Thank you for listening. Hello, today is October 13, Friday. Oh, well, hello there. 
It's 3 p.m. 58. Okay, good. I'm still good. All right. Let's go back to the Holy Eucharist. The Sacrifice of Jesus Christ. Page 17. Sorry, 18. We're growing fast. Number one. The victim had to be sanctified or consecrated to God. Well, there's a word. Consecrated. So there that so that there might not be offered to him anything that was not holy or nor unworthy of his majesty. Hence, the animal destined for sacrifice had to be without stain, without defect. It was not to be blind, lame, weak, nor deformed. Hence the animal destined for sacrifice had to be without stain, without defect. It was not to be blind, lame, weak, nor deformed, according to what was prescribed in the book of Deuteronomy. That would be 1521. This condition indicated that such would be the Lamb of God, the victim promised for the salvation of the world. That is to say, that he would be holy and exempt from every defect. We are thereby instructed by our prayers and our other good works are not worthy of being offered to God. We are thereby instructed that our prayers and our other good works are not worthy of being offered to God, or at least can never be fully agreeable to Him if they are in any way defective, you see. Moreover, the animal thus sanctified, 
could no longer be employed for any profane usage, and was regarded as a thing consecrated to God in such a manner that only a priest was permitted to touch it. This shows us how displeasing it is to God if persons consecrated to Him busy themselves without real necessity with the things of this world, and thus live in distraction and in neglect of what concerns the glory of God. victim had to be offered to God. This was done in certain words, by certain words that the Lord himself had prescribed. Majestic, wide open, teeming with life, this thriving ecosystem. Number three, it had to be immolated or to death. This immolation was not always brought about by death. Oh, we're reloading again. Baby's crying. Bye. So I found this article with an awesome picture. Jesus' life leads church to require wheat for blessed sacrament. I think I'm going to put this picture on the um, cover of this episode. Bishops verify and guarantee the validity and worthiness 
of the bread and wine used for the celebration of the Eucharist. The Vatican stated in a recent document. This article is submitted July 12, 2017, 12 a.m., and you can read it at St. Louis Review. Website ARCHSTL, Archdiocese of St. Louis, I'm guessing. ARCHSTL.org. It is part of the Catholic St. Louis Jesus Life Leads. Okay, great. Because bread and wine for the Eucharist are no longer supplied just as religious communities, just by religious communities, but, quote, are also sold in supermarkets and other stores and even over the internet, unquote. Bishops create guidelines. An oversight body and or a form of certification to help, quote, remove any doubt about the validity of the matter for the Eucharist, unquote. The Vatican's Congregation for Divine Worship, DW, and the Sacraments, Big S, stated. The recommendation came in a letter, quote, on the bread and wine, for the Eucharist, unquote, sent to, to diocesan bishops, quote, at the request of the Holy Father, Pope Francis, unquote, dated June 15, the Feast of the Body and Blood of Christ. The letter was made public by the Vatican July 8th. The letter did not introduce new teachings or regulations. It simply reminded bishops of their important duty to ensure that the correct materials are used in the celebration of the Mass. The letter also reiterated norms already in place regarding the Eucharistic matter, including the, that the bread used in the celebration of the Most Holy Eucharist Sacrament must be unleavened, purely of wheat, and recently made so that there is no danger of decomposition. So number in review, unleavened, number two, purely of bread, of wheat, purely of wheat. And third, no danger of decomposition, unquote. And that completely gluten-free hosts continue to be, quote, invalid matter for the celebration of the Eucharist, unquote. Low gluten hosts are valid matter, provided the host, quote, contain a sufficient amount of gluten to obtain the confection of bread. Oh, my cook to be, my chef to be son mentioned this word the other day, confection of bread without the addition of foreign materials and without the use of procedures that would alter the nature of bread. Period, end quote. In the column called Dear Father, in the newspaper review, called Review in 2010, Father John Mayo answered a question in a column related to the use of wheat 
and hosts. Oh, I want to know. The question posed was, quote, why can't a grain other than wheat be used for communion host? With a big C. Father Mayo's response affords additional content to the recent Vatican letter. Father Mayo mayonnaise, wrote, The Eucharist is a wonderful gift of Christ to the members of his body. With a big B. At the same time, this awesome gift might cause health issues for some people. It would seem that Christ would instruct the church to do whatever she could to allow as many people as possible to receive this gift, even by the changing the form under, even by changing the form under which he comes to us. The church in her wisdom has maintained very strict guidelines as to what may be used for the valid celebration of Eucharist. And Holy Mass. In 1980, the Congregation for Divine Worship and the Discipline of the Sacraments wrote, DWS wrote, quote, the instruction concerning worship of the Eucharistic mystery, period, unquote. In it, the church reaffirms that, quote, the bread for the celebration of the Eucharist in accordance with the tradition of the whole church, with a capital C, must be made solely of wheat, period, unquote. Uh, this tradition the instruction speaks of is natural and biblical. The life cycle of wheat, ooh, life cycles of wheat, right? It's different for every plant closely follows that of Christ's life. What are we talking about? Symbolism? Hello. Metaphors? Parables? The ground is plowed and the seeds are sown, broken, and ultimately must die in order to germinate. Christ uses the example of wheat and compares himself to it in John 12, 24. The prophets of ancient Israel prepared the ground for Christ. When Christ came, he spent his life spreading the good news throughout Israel. He was Israel. He was broken for us on the cross and died. Yet rose to new life in the resurrection with a capital R. Resurrection. In 2009, wheat fields covered 60 million acres of land worldwide, providing 2.17 billion bushels of wheat. This great amount of wheat over such a vast area symbolizes what the church is called to be with a capital C. A community in which all people gather into the new people of God. Christ used wheat as an analogy. Oh, there's an A word. When he taught in Matthew 13, verse 24 to 30, our Lord tells the parable in which at the end of time, the wheat will be gathered into the barn, whereas the empty husks will be burnt. People chosen to dwell with him forever are likened to wheat. Whereas others who do not have such 
enduring worth and are thus burned. What is used in the Old Testament too? Oop, chaplet's coming up in about right now. Okay, right. Hurry up. Last paragraph. The place where the temple was built was a threshing floor for wheat before being bought by King David. First Chronicles 21, verse 23 to 20, no, 22 to 23. The location of this threshing floor was on Mount Moria. M-O-R-I-A-H. Two Chronicles. Three, verse one. The exact place where Abraham led his son Isaac in order to sacrifice him on a pile of wood carried by Isaac. Here, we see the connection between Isaac being a Christ-like figure carrying wood up to be sacrificed. It can't be an accident that God would allow this place to then become a threshing floor for wheat before being the place where he would be worshipped. In Exodus chapter 34, verse 22, in which God calls upon Moses to institute a FW, Feast of Weeks, to celebrate. A feast for weeks. Feast of Weeks to celebrate and give thanks for the wheat harvest. This Feast of Thanksgiving for the wheat harvest Harvest reminds us of the Holy Eucharist, H-E, He, which literally means thanksgiving, where we come to receive the finest of wheat. Due to the deep roots wheat has in our faith, it's hard to imagine celebrating the Holy Mass without it being an integral part of the celebration. Thank you so much for listening and joining. For more on the Vatican's letter to bishops, see stlouisreview.com backslash jqn. Have a great day. Okay, I still haven't found a book on the Holy Eucharist yet, so right now I'm going to read something I hear um, the Marian Fathers do all the time, like a 40 hours devotion. This one is for the year of the Eucharist. 40 hours devotion. Diocese of Springfield, Massachusetts. The Feast of Christ the King. November 21st, year of 2021. 1121-2021. <laughs> Our Lady of the Rosary, October 7, 2022. Information regarding the open celebration of the Eucharist and the closing ceremony for the solemn exposition of the Holy Eucharist can be found in the Order for the Solemn Exposition of the Holy Eucharist, United States Conference of Catholic Bishops, published by Liturgical Press. Diocesan celebration of 40 hours. Each priest will have their own design schedule. Okay, so this was their design. Cool, I'll read it. So there's a few dates on here. December 3rd to the 5th, 2021. They're going to celebrate St. Jerome's 
Holy Yoke. Well, that's a new word. H-O-L-Y-O-K-E. January 6th through 9th, 2022. Our Lady of the Blessed Sacrament. Westfield. Oh, okay, that's where they're holding it. Got it. Okay. Third Feast, February 3 to 6, St. Mary's. Oh, I see. They're reading it that these, I guess, I don't know. March 3 to 6, St. Joseph, Shelburne Falls. March 31st to April 3rd, St. Francis of Assisi, pray for us, Boucher Town, May 5 to 8, St. John Paul II, in Adams. June 2 to 5th, Our Lady of the Valley. June 30th to July 3rd, Marian Fathers, Stockbridge. Aha, see, I knew you were going to come up somewhere. August 4 through 7, St. Stanislaus Basilica, Chicopi. September 1st through the 4th, St. Mary's in Ware. I guess these are all different places in Massachusetts. I don't know, though. Massachusetts is a little bit snowy. What do you think? I'm just, I've lived in snow weather my whole life, so I'm not... But anybody who hasn't lived in snowy weather, I completely recommend it. Because my cousins and Callie be like, I wish I could see snowfall. No, he was so excited when he took me to um Disney World. No, Disneyland in Cali. And he was like, and it, you know how they made this fake snowfall at night during the parade? He was like, oh, this is so wonderful. I've never seen snowfall. I'm like, dude, this is... And I didn't say it because I, I didn't want to ruin the moment. But I was like... In my head, I was like, dude, this is this is not real snow. <laughs> real snow. You don't get to leave your house for, like, weeks, at least two weeks on a record snow day. <laughs> because it's, like, higher than my door. <laughs> you can't even shovel your way out because you're tunneling. Because the snow is higher than my door. I'm not that tall. Okay, great. <laughs> I'm short, people. Well, whatever. We're all midgets in comparison. Five, what, two, maybe. The 40 hours adoration is an, is an opportunity to gather as a community before the Blessed Sacrament and to pray before the Lord in solemn adoration. It gives us time to deepen our appreciation of the importance of the mystery of the Eucharist in our lives. Traditionally, it begins with the celebration of the Mass. At the end of this opening Mass, the Blessed Sacrament is exposed. And after a period of a few days, the faithful are given the opportunity to assemble in prayer before the exposed Blessed Sacrament. The celebration then will end with the celebration of Mass. What? is the history of the 40 hours adoration. Well, no one knows exactly about when 40-hour devotion actually began. However, the historical consensus supports its origin in the 16th century in Milan, Italy. Saint Anthony 
Yay. My number one. Son. Zachariah and St. Philip Neri are credited with promoting 40 hours devotion there in 1530. And in 1539, Pope Paul III was asked and did approve an indulgence, a partial remission of the temporal punishment for sins for those individuals who participated in the devotion. By 1550, St. Philip Neri and St. Ignatius Loyola were instituting 40-hour devotion in Rome. Okay, so it goes through a whole history of it. Two paragraphs, not too long. Okay, we'll stick with it. In 1560, St. No, Paul, no, Pope, Pope Paul IV issued a papal bull or decree supporting the 40-hour devotion. The practice at the time was for the devotion to be scheduled at all different churches throughout the diocese so that the devotions were taking place continuously on a scheduled and rotating basis. In 1592, Pope Clement VIII formalized this process in a letter entitled Graves et Duturene. He also issued regulations for the devotions. In 1705, Pope Clement XI collected these regulations and officially issued them to the Church in a document entitled Instructio Clementia. During the first 80 years of the existence of the United States, the practice of the 40 hours devotion took place only in some parishes, in some dioceses. However, that was changed by St. John Newman, N-E-U-M-A-N-N. In 1852, St. John was consecrated Bishop of Philadelphia. St. John introduced the practice of 40 hours devotion at his first diocese and synod, in 1853, the first instance of the practice took place at St. Philip Neri Parish and soon introduced the program throughout his diocese. The practice of the 40 hours devotion was so successful in the Diocese of Philadelphia that it spread quickly to many other dioceses. In fact, at the Plenary Council of Baltimore in 1866, the 40 hours devotion was approved for all dioceses in the United States. Yay! Shout out for Baltimore! Be more! Be more! Page 3. Evening Prayer It is appropriate that evening prayer be celebrated in the presence of the Black Breath of the Blessed Sacrament, so that the praise and thanksgiving offered to God in the Eucharistic celebration might be extended. The presiding minister for evening prayer is normally a priest or deacon. However, in their absence, a lay minister may preside. In such a case, the insensation at the beginning 
and the <coughs> and the ben and benediction are omitted. Order for the solemn exposition of the Holy Eucharist is on page twenty to thirty. If you'd like to read more. Next or first entrance of the ministers. After the people have assembled, the ministers approach the altar in silence. And while instrumental music is played, if the blessed sacrament is already exposed, the ministers reverence it with a genuflection and go to their chairs. A genuflection is where you bow like a knight with one knee down and you do in the name of the Father, you touch your forehead. In the name of the Son, where you touch your heart. And in the name of the Holy Spirit, where you touch your shoulders like a hug. One shoulder to the other. Some people do it left to right. Other people do it right to left. And other people like to be left to right, right to left. And hug. That's me. I like to hug. I'm a hugger. Tree hugger. Yeah, people hugger. If the Blessed Sacrament is not exposed, the deacon or in his absence, a priest, even the presiding minister, brings to the altar and places it in the monstrance. What's a monstrance? It's that big thing that holds the bread, a.k.a. the thing that looks like a round, white cookie, wafer, thin, big, white, round. Okay, great. It usually has a watermark pressed on it. Yep, okay, great. Like a mooncake. Okay, great. The monstrance. And monstrances, I've seen all kinds of monstrances, you guys. They're so beautiful. Some are so huge. And then you get the mini one. I don't know. Insensation and song. The presiding minister then goes to the altar and having placed incense in the censer, C-E-N-S-E-R, kneels and incenses the Holy Sac uh, Eucharist. Sorry. The Holy Eucharist. Meanwhile, a suitable song may be sung by the people. After the incensation, the ministers go to their chairs. Next up, introduction. The presiding minister faces the people and makes the sign of the cross, saying or singing. <clears throat> the presider would sing, in the name of the Father, God, come to my assistance. Come, God, come to my assistance. And all would sing in response, Lord, make haste to help me. Glory to the Father and to the Son and to the Holy Spirit, as it was in the beginning, is now, and forever shall be, and will be forever. Amen. I don't know the tune. I'm tone deaf. Lord, make haste to help me. Glory be to the Father and to the Son and to the Holy Spirit. As it was in the beginning, is now, and will be forever. Amen. Hallelujah. Okay, so, sorry, I'm not gonna sing. Sorry. Samadhi. Samadhi. Samadhi? Antiphon. 
one. Antiphon means what you say before. Antiphone. Okay. The presider says, "The Lord is compassionate. He gives food to those who fear Him, as a remembrance of His great deeds." In response, all will say, "The Lord is compassionate. He gives food to those who fear Him, as a remembrance of His great deeds." And then we read Psalm one, one, one. Everybody says in unison, "I will praise the Lord with all my heart." In the assembled congregation of the upright, great are the works of the Lord, to be treasured for all their delights. Majestic and glorious is your work; your wise design endures for ever. You won renown for your. Wondrous deeds, gracious and merciful is the Lord. You gave food to those who fear you, mindful of your covenant forever. You showed powerful deeds to your people, giving them the lands of the nations. The works of your hands are right and true. Reliable in your decrees, reliable all your decrees, established forever and ever to be observed with loyalty and care. You sent deliverance to your people, ratified your covenant forever. Holy and awesome is your name. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. Prudent are all who live by it. Your praise endures forever. Glory to the Father and to the Son and to the Holy Spirit, as it was in the beginning, is now, and will be forever. Amen. Alleluia. The Lord is compassionate; He gives food to those who fear Him, as a remembrance of His great deeds. Antiphon, second or two, the presider says, "The Lord brings peace to His church, and fills us with the finest wheat." In response, we all say, "The Lord brings peace to His church and fills us with the finest wheat." I'll be right back to continue with Psalm one forty-seven. In the year of the Eucharist, forty hours devotion, page four. <clears throat> 